Welcome to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. I'm Josh Elledge, founder and CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We turn entrepreneurs into media celebrities, grow their authority, and help them build partnerships with top influencers. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around to the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspiration podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. All right. And with us right now, we've got Cass Ward. And Cass, you're the owner of Intelligent Design Engineering. You're a consulting partner of Nexigy, where you provide, you perform as a fractional CFO for clients. You're an adjunct professor in accounting at Queens University in North Carolina. And you're the author of the new book, How Much Does It Cost to Make a Donut? And Other Questions That Make Us Hate Accounting. Cass, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Josh. So, all right. So the first thing, and you got to see the cover of this, very, very well done, great design. I love the title of the book. Uh, Can you tell? start off by just sharing a little bit about what's in the book? Um, I'm sure it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all of that, right? Yep. So yes, it's it's available uh, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, Lulu, uh, several other places, Apple Ice Bookstore. But really, the entire concept of the book came out of the managerial accounting class I teach in the master's program at Queen's University. And um, I've been teaching there for I don't know about eight years. I've been teaching both entrepreneurship and managerial accounting. And right in the middle of that time period, I start uh, an old business partner came to me and said. I'd like you to build a financial model. I want to operate a donut shop. And I was like, all right, this would be fun. You know, let's put the financial model together. And at that point, she's, you know, we started putting the numbers together. She said, would you like to be a partner in this company? And I was like, sure. What do I have to do? You know, I said, I I don't want to cook. I don't want to do any of that, but I'd invest money into it. And she said, no, if you do that and then provide some CFO services, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm looking for. So um, I got to be a part of the taste testing. That was a huge upside to the entire venture. Yeah. But what happened is we got into those normal, uh, I'm going to call them arguments, but they were debates um, of what does this cost? You know, how should we do this? How much does, how much should we spend here? And even after running the company for five years, we still argued over one single point was how much does it cost to make a donut? Yeah. Well, being the petty person I am, I brought these arguments into the classroom (laughs) and I said, you know, how much does it cost? And as we were talking about everything from prime cost to conversion cost to variable and fixed and everything in between, we started putting all these concepts together to this one example. And I found that after doing this for a year or two, my entire curriculum became based on the concept of how much does it cost to make a donut? Well, the one thing that happened in my class that happens with most accounting classes is down to the very first question I always ask is, who hates accounting? You know, mm-hmm. first day of class, 90% of the students yeah. always raise their hand. People just do not like accounting. And I had to lean into the fact that I will never teach anyone to be a good accountant. I've got to learn to be a good accountant first, and I'm spotty at best, if you know what I mean. So I said, let's make sure I teach you six to seven accounting concepts over the course of the semester that if I see you in three, five, 10 years, 
you can spout back to me. Mm. So what I did was this story pretty much all it did was reinforce these concepts. This story of me and my partner building a, a donut company that went on from food truck to shop to several other shops. It really kind of became a business case in itself. And I figured, figured let's reinforce every one of those six or seven concepts with 20 other entrepreneurial stories from manufacturing to engineering to shoe companies to really drive those concepts home. So at some point, you will pull that concept out and use it in real life. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I got to tell you that I I actually feel really comfortable around you (laughs) because (laughs) you've you've acknowledged that it's okay to hate accounting. Like, look, I love to look at the reports like I like to I like to see the you know, I I certainly don't enjoy reconciling and other stuff like that. Like that drives me crazy. But I think at the end of the day, like we want to make smart decisions based on numbers and not like, you know, a magic eight ball and some Smurf berries. I mean, we want to, we want to be very logical about why we are doing certain things or we want to know, like from a sales perspective, you know, that was one, my most recent conversation with our uh, CFO was like, he's like, Josh, you need to be at this sales number if you want this outcome. And so it's really nice to say, okay, that's the number. Right. Well, and not only that, what happens is the general assumption with accounting is show me the balance sheet and the income statement or the profit and loss statement, and I'll make decisions from that. And you really can't make decisions from that. At the end of the day, your income statement says we made money or lost money. So it's either a celebration or, you know, we, we cry. And that's really not there's no decision in making that. So you really want to start saying, well, what, do, what does it cost to make one sale? Yes, each, each item we sell, every consulting hour, every widget, piece of pizza, we sell costs $2, $1,000, $10,000. We make that much money, but what effort actually goes into it? And you start looking at what, you know, what are the costs that go in to generate this revenue? And the bigger question is, is it worth it at the end? Am I doing 40 hours of work just to bill out $100? Well, at that point, I'm making minimum wage, less than minimum wage. Yeah. So um, what if I were to open up, how much does it cost to make a donut? Can you give me an idea of like the chapters or like what, what is the, the, the um, syllabus of, of the book? Okay. So I really break it down into very uh, fun Uh, Mm -hmm. a fun syllabus in the fact that what we do is uh, we need to build financial models. Even non-accountants need to build financial models because if you want to run out and start your own business, you need to build this in a manner that makes sense to you. Well, the big question is we all sit and look at that blank sheet of paper and say, well, I don't know anything, you know, and that's not quite true, but it's very overwhelming because even when you do know what you're doing, at the end of the day, you're saying it feels like we made some numbers up. So I break it down into a process of first, we're going to gather information. And I call that uh, getting our ingredients together. Mm-hmm. From there, we're going to make assumptions. We're, you know, we're, we're going to figure out this is the information we have, but what, what do we need to assume? We don't know how many donuts we're going to sell. We don't know how many uh, uh, contracts we're going to sell for our sales company. But what would we assume based on the knowledge we have? I call that preparing the recipe. Then from there, we start building the model. And that's when we actually start mixing the ingredients and making the donuts. 
From there, we end up having a financial model and that financial model allows us to make decisions. At the end of that, it still feels like we made something up. It's no different than, you know, the first time I made a cake or anything when it came out, I did make a cake. But the question was, did it taste like a cake? Did it taste like a donut? Were my financial Was my financial model based on the relevant data and assumptions needed to be? So then we have to test it. Then we have to say, what were we right about? What were we wrong about? We have to mm-hmm. taste test. And then we go through the whole process over and over. And what happens is companies, whether they're startups, I've, I've gone to companies that have been in business 10 or 15 years, have never done a budget, never done a forecast. Because <laughs> they... They I don't never, feel so bad now. <laughs> right. But because they don't know where to start, it's just uh, very uncomfortable. Yeah. And then you get to the point I, I've had, honestly, I've had several companies and I've just built the model for them. I'm not responsible for any of the results, but based on all of their assumptions for their forecasts and budgeting within their first two to three years, they were within 5% every single year. And mm. their biggest thing was this feels made up. Well, it felt made up, but it really was the basis of all the knowledge we had in that business at that time. Um, So do you think that there's anything like wired into a founder of a company that maybe personality wise, like founders tend to maybe not enjoy the numbers quite so much? They like to, I I, I guess if I'm thinking about like, um, you know, uh, you know, Tony Robbins, Business Mastery, for example, he talks about, you know, there's kind of four types of leaders out there. There's the, um, you know, there's the, the idea people, there's the, um, the money people that just love, you know, mergers and acquisitions and the money and the dollars and that sort of thing. Then there's like the manager of people and they really, really love that side of it. And uh, I forget what the fourth one is, but uh, it's, uh, but he's, you know, he's a, most founders, your idea people, like you came up with the concept. And so it's okay. Right. It's, or uh, I think the the last one was like, "Mm, like project management. I forget. Anyway. Um, So personality wise, I think a lot of CEOs or a lot of founders tend not to be the, the number cruncher type people. Am I stereotyping? No, not at all. The, the problem is they are and they aren't because that that those founders have to be everything to everyone in that first couple of years. So they do handle the numbers. They're the ones that question it the most. They're the ones that they're the ones that have the most to lose. Mm-hmm. So they do. They get involved. The bank accounts are in their names. They don't want anybody else to see the bank balance. Even with their partners, you know, some founders will hold the ownership over that just so they can feel that there's some sort of control. And very early on, it's okay. I mean, it's it, it's the resources you have. Honestly, I've been a CEO of a medical device company. Then we, you know, we raised a few million dollars and our office was so small that Fridays were my days to clean the bathroom. You know, mm-hmm. we were not to the point that we still had a janitorial service yet. Yeah. So early on that happens, but at some point we start, we don't let go when we should. And an example I always use is the plumber. A plumber works for a company and he's making $60,000 a year. He soon learns that that company is charging his service and timeout for $120,000 a year. Mm. And he says the same thing you would say, I would say. He yeah. says, well, I'm going to go out on my own and I'm going to make all $120,000. Yeah. You know, I, I, that's what I'm worth. 
and he is worth it. I'm not saying he isn't. However, he goes and he spends, you know, a couple hours doing his accounting work. He does some hour, you know, he does some marketing work. He does, you know, some operations, things that get set up. 32 hours in the week have gone by and he hasn't done any plumbing. He hasn't done anything to generate revenue at that point. Yeah. So now either he's got to work 80 hours a week to get to that 120,000 or only just work enough. And he's lucky if he's making $60,000. So there comes that point where you really got to figure out who can do this bigger and quicker than me. And I always love, especially on a service industry, looking at what you're worth every hour versus what you can charge out versus what you could pay somebody else to do. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, so, Cass, um, talk about your own growth um, professionally. Like, uh, obviously, you've been able to help a lot of big companies. How did you? How how did you kind of rise uh, professionally and and be able to you know work with companies doing seventy five million dollars in sales? So some of that comes from uh, a place of I started out in corporate America. I worked with a large bank. Uh, I had a pretty good experience, but it was one of those things that I, I actually won my, my last year with the bank. I won an award and I actually, I still, this award's over 20 years old. I keep it on my bookshelf to this day, but they had a budgeting system that took about four to five months. It used archaic technology. Mm. It just, it was, it was horrendous. And I came up with a, the concept and design and process flow of a new budgeting system that would integrate all of the software and allow them to cut this process down from four or five months down to one month. Yeah. And then you start doing the cost analysis and it's like, this would cost you 1.5 mil or, or save you $1.5 million per year. I won an award. I got a, a, a little gift certificate, this trophy. And I was, my first question was like, this idea I came with, I know I'm too young to lead this project, but could I just be a part of it? I'll be a grunt of it. And the answer came back that, um, oh, no one will ever do this. And I'm like, well, why not? I said, it'll mm. save money. I said, yeah, but it'll take about two years to, to implement it. And the way our structure is, is nobody stays in their job longer than two to three years before they're <laughs> looking for their next position in the company. Yeah. So no one will commit to it. And I just was like, even if it would, you know, I mean, you, you, you think about 1.5 million compounding annually, you know, that's 15 million in 10 years. Uh, it's, it's one of those things I'd even say, I'll do this for free if you let yeah. me have a fraction of the savings. And I just realized I liked making decisions that had an impact. We all pretend that we're, we care for the best of the organization and we want to see it thrive. But when we put that aside, just for like, oh, I won't be around that long. Then <laughs> it, it really was a turnoff. So I started working for smaller companies. I left that bank. And um, this really kind of was the turning point is I went to a company that I was sold that they were a $25 million plus mo uh, construction company. Um, I was 27. I was going to be their CFO. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm great. I'm wonderful. Um, 27 years old CFO, you know, I'm the most successful person in America right now. <laughs> I started this company and within two weeks realized they were worth less than a million dollars. Yeah. And about two months away from going bankrupt. And I really had a, a come to Jesus moment. And I was mm -hmm. like, I need to get my resume back together. But in order to buy some time, I started meeting with the department heads to say, hey, what could we do to just stop losing money for right now? 
And over the course of the year, we were able to stop losing money. And the following year, we got went from million, uh, to a million dollars in revenue to two million to five to seven to where by my, by my sixth year, we were at 25 million in revenue. And it was just, I learned a lot and it was a lot of blood, sweat and tears, trial by fire. And really the biggest piece is being surrounded by really good managers and leaders who could get their teams to accomplish, uh, you know, the, the strategy of the firm. Mm -hmm. And from there, I just, once it got big and it was running, you know, normal day-to-day business, it got boring. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and things changed Uh, to be quite honest, it, it started becoming corporate decisions were being started, starting to be made in that same manner as a large corporation. And it was time for me to move on. And that's when I started delving into the entrepreneurial world. Yeah. Uh, it, at what point, like if we look at the life cycle of a typical business, at what point would you recommend they bring in that, that talent on the, the financial side? Okay. So I'm going to say this for any leadership team. There are times, and this happens a lot with the CEO or the founder of the company. Um, let's, let's put skill side a set. Maybe it's a marketing person, an accounting person, finance, technology. There comes a time where whether it's one owner or two, they feel very lonely and isolated. I've worked for companies yeah. that have hundreds of employees and they're like, I'm so alone. Nobody gets this. <laughs> Usually when you want somebody to come in and lead with you and challenge your thought process, mm-hmm. that's when a fractional CFO, CMO, CTO are extremely valuable. And yeah. number one, they don't have a stake in the game. They will be very um, unbiased and the good ones will at least. Yeah. And if you look at any Fortune 500 company, their board of directors are made up of a, a good chunk of them being not employees of the company. They bring that outside perspective. So now when you have somebody saying, hey, uh, just walking in here on day one, I noticed that your operations are moving slowly. I've seen it at other companies. What's taking you five days should only be taking you two. It really opens up a new channel of thought to say, oh, well, I want to be to two days. And you start drilling down from there. But but really to answer your question, it's a sense of I need help. You know, I've seen some bad business leaders that like, I I got this. I can do this myself. I know what I'm doing. And they just do the same thing over and over and over again. And they they never, ever get any traction. They just, they have a decent organization but they don't know what it's based upon. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, I guess if we were to break it apart, right? So you've got your, you know, you've got general accounting, you've got, um, you know, and, and uh, it, it maybe just real quick, you know, uh, again, you got general accounting, you got taxes, payroll, you know, that sort of thing. So a CFO is different from all of that in, in what way? Um, they provide, honestly, they will help make, financial and accounting based decisions. Uh, and that's the hard part about being an accountant. I, I've been an accountant for over 20 years. And to this day, my mom still thinks I do taxes. <laughs> I, I don't even do my own tax returns. And it, it's this huge misnomer. And I, I, you know, five years ago, I just quit correcting her. So, yeah. but um, 
for, so there, it really comes down to the concepts are the concepts. Uh, what you're looking for is good management and leadership. Now, my, my background is accounting and finance. So I'm going to lead on what's our margin per product, what, you know, what's our volume per department, mm-hmm. um, and, and look at that. Because I can really weed through on what's pulling the company through versus what's holding it back on a, on a value proposition. And and that's really where the, the CFO shines. A lot of people I've seen hire CFOs that they do their books, they they sit in their office and they work on probably some of the most elaborate Excel spreadsheets that probably deserve some ward in mathematics for how elaborate they are. And they spit out a ton of information. But at the end of the day, they're just handing off this information. They still can't make a decision. They still mm-hmm. have no assumptions to make. They literally at the end just have reported what's been done, but they, they have no opinion or thought process yes, on what right. comes next. And really that's why people don't like accountings or are not don't like accountants, but they are, they get frustrated with them because a lot of accountants just hand that information off and say, here you go. You know, and their real question is like, what does any of this mean? You know, what we, we made money great, but how, where, You know, what could we do to do this again and again and again? Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, Cass Ward, um, thank you so much for sharing this. I'm a huge fan of like, you know, even in a fractional, fractional, I mean, just have a consultant that can take what you have. Certainly if your books are not in order that, well, that's kind of a priority. So, um, you know, but, but this is, this is just business adulting. You know, a great example of this is, you know, those who are applying for PPP and, and SBA support. I mean, if your books are in order and you're ready to go, you're ready to go and you can take advantage of this. And if you look at the list of what the SBA is looking for and you're like, Oh shoot. <laughs> yeah. Then, you know, you just, you miss out on opportunities. And so, and again, it's okay. Cast in your words, uh, many of us hate accounting and that's totally okay. You don't have to love it. Um, but, um, yeah, so thank you so much. I, like I said, I'm a big fan of this. Um, your website is casmerward.com and that's C-A-S-S-M-E-R ward w-a-r-d.com and of course folks can find the book you can just search in amazon or anywhere else you buy books how much does it cost to make a donut anything else cast that that we should let people know about no i just uh it, there is a value accountant accounting and if if you uh are not a fan of it learn the basic minimum so you can hand it off to someone who can help you and provide that value for you yeah you know, you've got these um, great videos on here as well. You have a lot of great content on your on your website. So, um, so thank, thank you. you for that. Again, CasperWard.com. And uh, again, you're the owner of Intelligent Design Engineering, consulting with NextG, do fractional CFO work. Uh, but of course, the book, How Much Does It Cost to Make a Donut? Casper Ward, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for listening to The Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now, if you've got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. Now, if you do that, tag us with the hashtag upmyinfluence each month. We scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform 
and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. Now, what do you win? Well, we're going to promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans, totally free. Now, can you also hook us up? Now, in your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Now, my name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Now, thanks for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Mm-hmm.